Hey everyone, welcome to We're Watching Here. We're Watching Here Oscar Edition. This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me today, he is the past lives to my Blue Beetle, Perry Cyber. <laughs> oh, I'll take that every time. Thank you. <laughs> Everyone would. Thank you very much. Actually, we have like half the listeners here going, what the hell is Blue Beetle? <laughs> they, they just totally forgot about that one. I would hope. I would hope. Yes. Oh, as Perry mentioned, it is uh, it's Oscar week, Oscar nomination week. And we are recording this the night that Oscar nominations were announced. So we'll be talking about those a little bit. But more more importantly, we are going to do what I promised we would do over Christmas break, which is we're going to talk about our top 10 films of the year. Uh, we had a nice Christmas break. Perry, I'm assuming you had a nice Christmas break. Very much so. So many friends, so much family, so many board games. It was fantastic. And, so and I did. I, I sat and watched so much. And so I just when it when the top time came for me to think, oh, should we do the podcast? I was like, I don't want to get off my couch. I don't I don't want to turn on my computer. It, it's been off for two weeks. So you're getting it today, but you get a little bo- Oscar bonus in there. So everyone wins. So, Perry, we, we actually we don't do a top 10 every year, but I think no. this might this might be the first year in a few years where. We've had enough screeners and stuff where I feel like, at least on my end, I comfortably saw most of the important ones before the year ended. Yes, I feel there's really only one thing I haven't seen this year that I feel I really, really should. Uh, and that's that's the Miyazaki. I just haven't gotten around to it. That's And that's partly my own lack of love for anime as a whole <laughs> uh and that's nothing to do with Miyazaki's fantastic that's that's not a knock on him I just don't respond to the form very well so I've kind of been like I'll get to it I'll get to it it'll be fine I saw the new Miyazaki I saw that on uh on my holiday break and it was my first Miyazaki um and it was quite the experience it is a very good film I believe um but uh I I I don't think it ended up on my top 10 or even my top 20, but it, it's a good movie. Um, so we're going to hop into our top 10 list. Harry, do you have any rhyme or reason to how you put your list together throughout the year? Uh, no, no. I pretty much first draft this uh, for the and only first draft it. I don't make a lot of revisions. I wait as late as I can into the year to do it. Uh, I will tell you that the um, the top five are definitely the top five. And there are a number of films that could have slotted into the next five. The top five are, I feel like that is the perfect mixture of my brain and heart. And the next five are, um, I might just being obstinate with a couple of picks. (laughs) (laughs) I I one together throughout the year. Letterboxd is great for that, but I'll say like my year is very heavily backloaded. So during the first half of the year, it's, you know, catching up with things here and there, but, Probably like most critics, it's it's the end of the year when I really start viewing a lot of things that start messing with my list. But I feel the same way. Like my top five has been cemented since November, pretty much. Um, my back five changed so much that those who have read my top ten list that came out in December are going to hear a slightly different list today uh, because Woo-hoo! I saw something right before the end of the year that I was like, oh, I need to include that on my list, and it. You know, it knocked one off that I hated to lose, but that's what honorable mentions are for. This is true. So it was a, it was a pretty good year. Um, 
Yeah, you can go back to our, our last episode where we talked about the Michigan Movie Critics Guild Awards. We talked about a lot of films there. Sure, we'll hit on some of those, but I'm excited to see what we haven't talked about yet. Harry, why don't you kick us off with your number 10? I will pick my number 10. Um, I am going to put I'm go, I'm going to put Barbie at number 10. OK, uh, I think it's best to say that my six through 10 are all films that I think are flawed. Uh, but were I, they were five films that I encouraged people to see, not that you needed to encourage anybody to go see Barbie. Uh, but B- Barbie, the first hour of Barbie really has stuck with me. <laughs> uh, so much so that I don't, I just forget about that last half hour much of the time. Uh, and I, it is, I, I need to revisit it. I, Barbie's one of the few I haven't seen twice. Uh, and I'm curious to see if my, if it would drop off this list, if I gave it a second viewing. But, but that said, it it really was great to have a a cultural phenomenon be something worth talking about uh and i say that with the with the full full fear that i am talking about a a, a giant studio movie based on a doll <laughs> the best doll movie you're going to get out of this i guess you know if i can't watch child's play again yes i suppose <laughs> you can always think, watch child's play again Bar- it never barbie's, ends barbie's better than child's play that's great. <laughs> i'm just being silly you heard it here first barbie barbie better than, better than child's, child's play. play that's right <laughs> well you know what i am going to start my number 10 uh my number 10 is the double part of that barbenheimer bill it is uh oppenheimer um christopher nolan's movie we did a whole episode on this and this is definitely one where I agree with you. I think this is a flawed movie. There are things about it that I don't, I, I wish were better. I wish Christopher Nolan was better with women. Um, that is the thing that kind of holds this movie back for me. But I, I was surprised after seeing this movie, how much it stuck with me, um, particularly the performances. I think Robert Downey Jr. and Cillian, Killian Murphy are great. Um, I think it does the very hard thing of making people sit in a room, talk about physics. Fascinating. Um, I, I really, I dug that. I wish I had been able to go see this on IMAX, um, but I'll take the 70 millimeter screening. We saw, uh, I have the 4k Blu-ray at home. I haven't popped it in yet, but this is just, it, it's a movie that I think is very smart. It's about an, it, an issue that, uh, you know, has had, decades of resonance and it it does it in a way that kind of shook me on the way out and i haven't really stopped thinking about the last five minutes of oppenheimer since i saw it it really unsettled me and i think it's one of nolan's best movies i agree that it's one of nolan's best movies my reservations (laughs) for it keep it out of my top 10 you will not hear it later uh i still think he's he's the wrong director to make that movie (laughs) he does not make me feel the horror that Oppenheimer is supposed to feel as much as he makes me feel the awe that, uh, that Nolan himself obviously very much feels at watching the bomb go off. Uh, and yeah, he, the, the women characters are boy, we're going to get to this later with Emily Blunt. What a very kind nomination that was. And that's not a, that's not like Emily Blunt. She's a very good actress. I just think, wow, I can, I can think of other people who should be in that slot. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. A lot of other people who should be in that slot. <laughs> Number nine, Perry. Number nine. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with how to blow up a pipeline. Okay, which was probably my favorite, but my probably the lowest budgeted film on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, a true indie, a film that appealed to uh, to to my particular political bent, and I think did a fabulous job of of doing the old fashioned 
uh, if you'll forgive me the incredibly politically incorrect term, men on a mission movie. I mm -hmm. like the fact that you are, you know, it takes the lost structure where you watch them now and then you cut back to get their backstories. Uh, and while that normally annoys the crap out of me, I think it's really lazy storytelling. I really like the way they did it here. Uh, I like every cliffhanger that they would cut back into the past to go for a while and then come back to. Uh, I liked all the performances. I love the fact that it's a bunch of people I don't think I've ever seen before. And so it very much gave it some verisimilitude of, okay, these are just people who have mm -hmm. this idea to blow up a pipeline. Uh I, 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 I just, this stuck with me. <laughs> I'm really glad I saw it. Uh, I'm quite fond of it. How to blow up a pipeline. That is definitely an honorable mention for me. Uh, I love that movie. I think it's, it's very well done. I, I, what you said, the heist elements really kind of, it, it kept me watching, but what I wasn't prepared for was like, how each of those characters had depth and like, they weren't ciphers, right? They weren't just, causes that you know that they weren't empty they, they had actual emotions and stakes to them and I, I appreciated those characters i thought every scene of them carrying out the the mission i don't know if i breathed through half of that like there, <laughs> there are sequences that are as suspenseful as anything i've seen this year and yeah, yeah i really want to see more from that filmmaker that that is a great movie great great bit my number nine is a movie that uh, is actually opening wider this week. Uh, it is Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest, a movie that just it has haunted me since we saw it. This is the uh, a movie about the commandant of Auschwitz and his family, and they're going about their daily lives as there is horrible suffering happening just behind their homes that they are completely aware of and complicit in. And that's basically the film. Um, but it is just this long unflinching look at ordinary evil um, it, to the point where I, I wrote this, you know, Roger Ebert has the great argument that movies are machines that generate empathy. This felt like an exception to that where the further the movie went along, the less I could understand these people as human beings um, because it is so monstrous. Like, how do you look away from suffering? And then when you stop and think about it, the fact that we do it every day in our own lives, right? We, we sell, we ignore suffering for comfort uh, on different levels every day. Um, I, I, the sound design in this movie is nightmarish. Uh, there are sequences where the film just goes to black or red for several minutes as if the movie is just screaming because it's so horrifying what we're seeing. And yet the family at its center is also recognizable. Like they, they are monstrous in the way that they pay no attention to what's happening or they are aware and don't care. But there are also moments where you also have to kind of reconcile this idea of, but there are family who are affectionate and how do you, reconcile that and i don't know and this movie like shook me i have not stopped thinking about this movie uh i i still can't get there with it i i appreciate it i really i do like it i think it's very good um i am less sold on it adding anything to the great conversation about holocaust movies um but i will tell you i think it very much sticks the landing i really do like the oh, last yeah. four minutes a great deal to the point that I'm like, okay, that, that more than that more than makes up for me wanting to slag the film. 
for being really well made and oh i feel like i've seen it before in so many ways but yes i haven't uh it, i love glazer i wish he worked more uh i i i have i will admit i think i was thinking about it and i realized i have liked all of his films and i've liked each one a little bit less than the one before <laughs> Which is really interesting because I really do like him and I, I want him to, I guess I just want him to work more, but I guess I shouldn't. I don't know what this all means. Um, but we'll see I how am, you feel in 10 years. I'm glad. Exactly. Exactly. I am. I am very glad it made your list. It's a, it's a, it's a good movie. What's your number eight, Perry? Uh, my number eight is going to be Saltburn. Oh. A movie that uh, a lot of people really dislike. <laughs> and I've talked to a lot of my movie centric people who really did not care for it. And I've seen it twice. Uh, I am not saying it's any immaculate work of art, but I think it is incredibly stylish, incredibly sexy, incredibly funny, uh, and incredibly affecting. It is, I, I am, I am, we've talked about this. I am somebody who repels from provocateurs. I do not. I do not want you to just provoke me. I want you to have a reason to provoke me. Uh, and this is a film full of provocations, <laughs> and they all feel really motivated to me. They all are presented in ways that are uh, not just challenging for you to just sit and watch and hear, but they do it in ways that are thematically very interesting. And this is hard to talk about without spoiling the movie a great deal. <laughs> Uh, and I would love to have a spoiler-rich discussion of this movie with you at some point. Uh, but I really like Saltburn. I'm, I'm not saying it's a work of genius. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I do think it's an outstanding second film from Emerald Fennel. I, I preferred it. I, I prefer it to Promising Young Woman. And I can say that because I rewatched Promising Young Woman after seeing okay. Saltburn to see. What, am I forgetting something? I'm like, no, I actually like Saltburn better. So I guess. I guess. You know, salt burn and, and how to blow up a pipeline make for a really great class conscious double feature. Okay, that's fair enough. I did not hate salt burn. I, I don't I, I I still feel like its themes are kind of muddied. Um, I don't know if it's really the eat the rich movie that it's presented as. Um, no, it is not. I agree. But, but I don't dislike it. Um, it is very Rosamund Pike alone is the reason to watch the movie she's fantastic uh barry kagan is is great uh it just it, yeah it kind of just missed outside of my runners up but it is a very entertaining funny and beautiful movie like, it is beautifully oh, shot and uh there are things i have actually i'm sitting right here i have the uh screener of it sitting right on my desk I'm not gonna pull it out. but uh, i did have to tell my wife please do not watch this movie there are I, I know your reactions. I know the kind of things you like in movies and this is not it. And you will have, you will understand things about me that I don't want you to know. I've put before my eyes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. It's, it, it, it's a very entertaining movie. I found it very entertaining and a, a very uh, well-composed film. It just kind of bounced off me thematically. Um, I'm just not quite drinking the bathwater on it. No, no problem. Understood. I, I, I have a feeling that part of the I'm, I am curious to see how the British press responded to it. It feels very British. 
And I mm-hmm. think that I'm curious if that is part of the weird disconnect I seem to be having with people about it. Not that I'm particularly drawn to British things, but I'm curious if it's some sort of cultural thing that I haven't thought through that far. Because I don't want to think it through. I just really want to enjoy the movie. <laughs> um, I will say one of the things this movie really, really made me happy for was um, I I'm not I'm not going to mention names, but I had to. uh to sit near someone who I, I am not the biggest fan of uh, during my, <laughs> my screening of it. Um, someone who is a, and I knew their sensibilities going in. And I was like, I don't know if this movie is going to be for them. And it was worth it to sit next to them during the bathtub scene and just hear them clench up and groan and cover their eyes and everything. And for that, the movie gave me some pleasure. I will say I saw it and I did not I did not see it ahead of time. I saw it in the theater. I, I I paid to go see it, and it is the first film in some time I can remember that I watched people walk out like oh, they I, were yeah. at, at points where you know they were walking out because of the movie. Uh, that was that was kind of great, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this genuinely challenged you, and you did not care to be challenged. That's interesting. Uh, it is all over my TikTok though, like. People on TikTok love this movie, love to talk about it. It is getting a bit of an audience. and It's a beautiful movie. It's a gorgeous movie. It's purposefully, purposefully. My number eight is not as provocative, um, but it is surprising that this movie is on my list because I never thought this day would come. This was a late addition to my list. I saw this over Christmas break. My number eight movie of the year is Godzilla Minus One. Um, I am not, I don't know how you feel about Godzilla in general. Um don't care I, okay. and it's fine like i like the original a great deal i've never gone deep with all of the sequels i remember seeing mothra as a child i yeah i'm kind of i like godzilla in theory more than in practice um yeah. i i like the idea of oh there's a big monster smashing things that's fun um but i always sit through them and i'm like oh but there are no characters that i like in this this isn't about anything but destruction except for you know the first godzilla sure um and now godzilla minus one which is a fantastic piece of big screen entertainment this is uh you know the i think it's now the highest grossing japanese movie in the united states um because it finds a way to focus a story on a human being we give a shit about uh it takes place did you see this i haven't yet i i would i want to okay so it it really it focuses on a uh, kamikaze pilot who chickened out of his mission and has to deal with survivor's guilt that he also couldn't stop Godzilla before Godzilla got really big. And that sounds kind of silly, but it actually is this really compelling movie about courage, about survivor's guilt, about a found family. Uh, It centers the story on this character you really care about and then mixes in some of the best special effects I've seen, the best big scale filmmaking I've seen in a long time to make Godzilla really scary for the first time ever, like he's actually scary. Um, the destruction is, I, I can't believe they did it at that level. This was like $15 million, uh, which maybe Hollywood wants to take a look at that. Um, but <laughs> I was just totally caught up in this. This is just a big, large scale crowd pleaser of a movie. Uh, I dug the hell out of this. It is so cool. much fun. And uh yeah, yeah, it really gets to you. It's, I've heard people say they cried. I did not cry at a Godzilla movie, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I get it. I haven't seen the movie. I get it. Very good movie. I uh, This is the film that I have t- 
the the last film I remember being told by so many people I know that I really should see it was the first Spider Verse movie, and uh, I uh, you know I'm glad I saw that, and so I am I I do want to see Godzilla minus one. I'm I'm tempted to go see the all black and white version. Don't have much time. It's just this week. Oh no, I think it's there till February first. I think you got a bit of time. I'm tempted. tempted. It, it be worth it. it. It's a good movie. Cool. Number seven, Perry. Oh, I have a hard time flipping these seven and sixes. They could go either <laughs> way, and I, I really wish I'd seen one of them a second time. Uh, for the moment, I will slot. I will slot. I will slot Killers of the Flower Moon into number seven. Okay. Martin Scorsese's three and a half hour epic, uh, based on the true crime book about the, uh, the the stealing of the wealth of the Osage people. Uh, it is a movie that. For me, we you know we did a whole episode on it. We've talked about this. It's a movie that feels weirdly dutiful and not compelling for three hours and fifteen minutes, and then in the last fifteen minutes, Scorsese pulls a total Godardian move in total cinematic terms, explaining why he wanted to make the movie and sort of justifying the fact that it doesn't feel passionate but necessary. Uh, it doesn't feel compelled out of Scorsese, but it feels very purposeful and important to him. And boy, do I respect that. And this is the other one I wished I'd seen a second time. I still haven't. Uh, I don't Apple Plus. And so seeing it again, I would like to see that first three hours and 10 minutes, knowing that that's the lens he's going to hammer home in the last 20 minutes. Uh, it, it might flip. It might even jump into the top five after getting to do that again. But right now I'm going to slot killers of the flower moon in seventh. Okay. We might be talking about that one a little bit later. Yeah, possibly. Uh, my number seven is the holdovers. Um, a movie that I, I've just been tickled to watch people discover it over the last month or so. Uh, <laughs> it hasn't made a ton of money, but I've heard, People catch it in theaters and now it's on Peacock. People are catching it and they just, they love it. And I love it too. It is a fair, it's the movie we used to get all the time in the nineties and two thousands, right? Is the crusty professor who, you know, makes a friendship with one of his students and inspires them. Um, but it is just told with so much affection for really broken kind of abrasive people. Uh, it's very funny. I love the look of it. I love the uh, the shot on film grainy look of this. It looks like it was pulled right from the 70s. Um, I love Paul Giamatti in this, who is one of my favorite actors. And I love that, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen him in a starring role in anything. And I love that this just allows him to play, you know, play right to his strengths. He is crusty and frustrated, but he's also very sad and a very sad, lonely character who you know, you start to feel for very quickly. And I love the uh, relationship he has with the the student at his school, Dominic Sessa, who I cannot believe it is his first screen performance because he is so natural and just goes toe-to-toe with Paul Giamatti. Um, Divine Joy Randolph, fantastic. Just the third part of this kind of trio of broken people who really learn to help each other. And it does it without feeling sappy. It does it without feeling mean-spirited, which for Alexander Payne is a bit of a miracle. Uh, I I love this movie. I I want this to become a perennial Christmas movie in our home. Um, I just, I left feeling warm and happy and a lot of love towards these characters. And I love it when that happens. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a very good movie. 
it is uh, it's the best film alexander payne has made this century i have no problem saying that totally agree <laughs> number six perry number six for me in this is where we're gonna split all right <laughs> bradley cooper's maestro Mm. I really like Maestro. I like Maestro a great deal. I think it is, uh, I, I think those are two toweringly great performances at the center of it. And it is about those two characters. I like the fact that it skips all of the generic choices you could make for a biopic. Uh, I like that it is absolutely drunk on how much, uh, how much it loves the character. <laughs> the first, when the black and white section of this movie is just, that hour 15 blows by for me in like 12 minutes. I could, I think it's just ceaselessly entertaining. Uh, and then to have it uh, land the emotional beats it lands for Bradley Cooper to invest so much in this, to want to do this so badly and to do it so well. Uh, I, I, I have said this is, I, I like this on a double feature with Saltburn for really great second films <laughs> from directors this year. Uh I really like Maestro. I understand the people who dislike it, and I think they are not seeing what's there. And what he tells you is there right at the beginning with the with the quote from Bernstein he puts up at the beginning of the movie. Uh, this is not a conventional story. It is not going to have a conventional payoff. That's not what he's trying to do. Uh, and I really like what he does a great deal throughout this. I think it's a really fun movie. Yeah, we're split on this one. I don't hate – this is another – like, I can't – I can't say I hate it or even I severely dislike it. It is very well made. I, I think Cooper and Mulligan are very good. I think it's shot very well. There are some really great edited sequences. There's that one near the beginning where it's just the one take where he runs from his room and it basically just follows yeah. him on the stage. And that's great. Um, I, I think it's well made and well executed. Uh, my, I, I have, I have a little desire to go try and watch it again because it was one of those movies that was sandwiched in a day with like, you know, a stretch of time where you're watching like eight movies in the course of three days. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, it, it, things just don't connect, but I just, I remember it feeling like this is bouncing off me. It is not working for me. Um, I, I think I wanted a different movie. I wanted something that delved into a little more of the artistry It is a movie about a marriage and maybe knowing that, you know, I should give it another shot, but I will also say there is a, there is a scene where Bradley Cooper, it's that scene in the park where he's like, I'm raining it in. I'm raining it in. And I literally <laughs> screamed at my TV. Would you shut up? Because it annoyed me. And again, I don't know if yes. it was a bad afternoon or what, but uh, yeah, that one just kind of bounced off with, off me. Um, Maybe I'll give it another shot down the road, though. I oh, did. I think that's exactly the reaction you're supposed to have in that moment. Okay, okay. I think you are. I, 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 like I said, I think the movie does not want to give you any easy comfort. I think it's. I really like it. I really like. It. I think it's. I think it's a strong piece of work. Again, Killers might jump ahead of it <laughs> on a second viewing of Killers, but I, I think Maestro is. Uh, had Maestro been his first film, I think it would be getting the kind of love that that. Uh, the star is born god it still wouldn't get the box office because there'd be you know gaga but i i think it's there, really there'd be no box office because it's netflix that's very true that's that's said but true and we're gonna be talking about that later too <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> what's your number six Chris? my number six and it's really tight because i did see my number five again and i'm kind of wondering if maybe i should have flopped my five and six but i'll just go with what i had laid out uh, my number six is are you there god it's me margaret 
um, a movie I know we'll be talking about again later, so I will uh, be quick on this. Um, let's let's just speed this up. It's my number five. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, yeah. I I mean, it's really hard to do a movie that is wholesome and very honest. Um, you know, they kind of in some movies they cancel each other out. If you want to be wholesome, you got to blunt. You know, you got to kind of blunt the truth about life. If you want to be honest it usually leads to a film that's, you know, a little abrasive. Somehow, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, is wholesome and without dulling any of the honesty about the messiness of adolescence. And I absolutely just love this movie. It's it's a warm hug of a movie for me. Um, I love the, uh, I, I love all the performances, but particularly uh, Rachel McAdams, who I don't think has ever been better as the mom. She is fantastic. I love the fact that this is a movie that is honest about how messy and complicated life is without it feeling dour because life is also funny and family is good and friends are good. And these are also parts that are mixed in with all the awkwardness of life. And then for me, there's just also that, that theme of the spiritual search throughout it as well. That really, I, I felt it was the most honest depiction of what it's like to be trying to figure out what it is you believe about anything. And I adore this movie. I love that my daughter is going to have this for her in a few years when life gets <laughs> complicated and messy. Um, yeah, I will let you talk more because I know you've called this a perfect movie. And so yeah. I will let you gush about this. Yeah, I this is this is one of those movies where and I can say this for pretty much all of my top five every single decision that writer director kelly freeman craig makes and i'm going to keep saying the name kelly freeman craig because it is a crime that kelly freeman craig is not getting enough praise for her work as a director for this movie uh every single decision is exactly right it is exactly right every tone is correct every single uh decision uh, in recreating the 70s is correct and they're not showy about it. It doesn't linger on it. It's not about, oh, look, we've recreated the 70s. This is just where these people live. <laughs> this is just the world she is in and the world they are in. Every single character is drawn cleanly and quickly and with precision and they are complicated. <laughs> this is, you know... Uh, this there's a reason this feels like a James L. Brooks film because <laughs> he produced it hands on mm -hmm. style, uh, just like he produced Kelly Freeman Craig's first movie, which was also very good. Uh, again, another outstanding second film this year. It's the year of second films, Chris. Uh, sophomore year. Uh, are you there? Goddess me, Margaret is utterly fantastic. It is. Uh, it is the kind of film I want to yell at people when they say there's there's nothing the whole family can go see. It was right there. You didn't go see yeah. it. You know, I was shocked. I thought I'm like, oh, this movie had to have done pretty well. This had to have no. been a good. No, it made no money. But even watching it, I'm like, this is a movie that people are going to find. This is this is sure definitely hope. a movie that I think 10 years from now, people are going to look back and be like, well, that was a big hit. Right. And uh, they're going to be shocked when they find out. No, um, but I. It's just, I think it's a movie that's gonna gonna find its audience over the years, and if not, yeah. we will keep talking about it. We will, we will. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, and my number five is Barbie. Um, and I will say I saw it a second time, and I will say the things, the the whole subplot with the Mattel execs 
really could have been cut out and the movie would be tighter and probably funnier for it. Um, it it's the one it, it's the one part of the film where I feel it, its focus is blunted uh, that someone was meddling and saying, make fun of Mattel to a certain extent. And, uh, it, it, you know, but it, the, the whole movie loses that thread an hour in anyway like those characters just disappear until will ferrell comes bumbling in at the end um but everything else about this movie is still so funny i laughed harder at this than almost any movie this year uh there's another movie coming up in my list that made me laugh a lot harder um but i i just i think barbie is funny i think it's smart i will watch ryan gosling be funny anytime I think Margot Robbie is smart and funny and emotional in it. Uh, I think the screenplay is really smart in the way it interrogates the brand and kind of, you know, you know, you can, you hold this film up against something like super Mario brothers, right? Which literally does what it says on the box. It, all that movie exists for is to say, you love super Mario brothers. Here it is. And I can look at super Mario brothers and go, yep, that is a super Mario brothers movie. It is everything I remembered from the game. Okay, Barbie takes the things you know about Barbie and keeps turning it over and keeps saying, well, is this good? Why do we like this? Maybe we should think deeper about this. And, you know, it introduced my daughter to the word patriarchy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I love Barbie. It's a lot of fun. Um, it, it's a big hit in our house. My, my kids both fell in love for this really quickly. Um, so, yeah, that's Barbie, my number five. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later, I think. Okay. Number four. Number four is Alexander Payne's The Holdovers. Okay. Um, I debated forever and ever about switching four and five. This is where they are for the time being. Remember, folks, all lists are snapshots. <laughs> they are not canon. Okay. These these change. This is, this is a game. Uh, I have The Holdovers fourth because I have seen it uh, a couple times now. And it is... Uh, Man, he made a Hal Ashby movie. Mm-hmm. He literally made a Hal Ashby movie. He made an early 70s Hal Ashby movie. It looks like a Hal Ashby movie. I sat there for the first 30 minutes going, he just better not play a Cat Stevens song. Otherwise, he's tipping way too hard. And then one shows up and I'm like, no, you earned it. It's okay. I don't mind. It's, I, it, is, it is an exquisitely written piece. Uh, he was so smart to cast Paul Giamatti. I don't think the film would be as good with anybody else ever i can't see anybody else doing it that well uh i uh uh devon joy brown is unbelievably great uh i uh, dominic Sess is very good i'm not quite as over the moon of him about him as everybody else seems to be he's very good i i think he pushes a little hard when he's got to be big he's very good in the small scenes he's very good in the quiet scenes uh but i'm really nitpicking he's it's an excellent debut performance uh it's 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 smart it's very funny. It's very likable. Uh, it goes down very easy. <laughs> it is not. Uh, I, 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 I find it really, really so wonderful that Alexander Payne has learned to sit with pain rather mm-hmm. than laugh at it or laugh it off or just look away, which has been the problem with everything since election. Uh, it, it's it's very good. <laughs> Yeah. It's very good and the kind of movie you can tell anybody to watch. Yeah. Um, gosh, it made me think of The Descendants. And I remember The Descendants, what really irked me about that was whenever there would be a moment of 
just quiet or a real emotion, there would be a joke that was thrown yes. in to blunt the impact. And Holdovers doesn't do that. And yeah. I will tell you the biggest sin where the Descendants lost. And I think the Descendants is good. It's a three Yeah, I enjoy movie. it. Yeah. Where it where it failed spectacularly is there is a there is a line early on in voiceover where Clooney's character says, my goal now is to be the best dad I can be. Right. Mm-hmm. And then then later comes the scene where he is unable to exp- he brings the doctor in to explain to his daughter that his <laughs> that her mother is dead. <laughs> and. Payne can't even write that scene. It's done in dumb show. I'm like, no, you failed spectacularly. You won't give me at least Clooney even admitting he can't do this. You just got to look away. You can't handle this. You don't know how to do this. Yeah. And it's, it's like, oh, yeah, you, I don't know what your issue is. You, you really don't like people and you are great at showing me that in Citizen Ruth and Election <laughs> and everything else since has been a disappointment. If sometimes fine, to outright terrible boy boy this is great and yeah. i think it's very telling that he does not have a screenplay credit on it i know he hired the writer to write it uh i believe if he were to take a story by credit he could uh but boy i think it's telling that his name is not on it yeah absolutely my number f- okay my my one through four or four through one however we're doing this all these films at one point spent considerable time at my number one spot. And to the point where my top two films were switching back and forth in the final week before I published this list. So I love these four films equally. They're all great, but for the sake of a list, my number four is killers of the flower moon. Um, a movie that I think you summed up very well. Uh, I honestly, I just keep coming back to the fact that I can't believe at his age, Martin Scorsese is not that he's still making films. A lot of people make films in their 80s. Um, but he is making, in my opinion, some of the best films of his career at, at this age. And I would, I, I think, you know, you look at that run from uh, Wolf of Wall Street through Killers of the Flower Moon. I would put that up with almost anything he's done. Um, you know, it, it, it's a different type of filmmaking than he started out, but I love all those films equally. I think they are all challenging muscular films. That's why I keep going back to is just this word muscular films. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon is maybe, I, I don't know. I like silence a lot. I don't want to rank them. Killers of the Flower Moon. No, I no, like just as much as all those other movies. Uh, <laughs> I read the book shortly before we saw the movie. Um, I didn't really understand what attracted Scorsese to this story because it was really, if you read the book, it is a very much just a straight cop mystery. And I'm like, well, okay, Scorsese can do that. I don't know why that's interesting. And he changes perspective and main characters enough where I realized, oh, he found the better story in this. This is a story <laughs> about, it's not a white savior story, which is what the FBI story would be. It yes. is white nationalist story it is a story of white greed and violence that is woven into our nation's history i think it is it it is a movie that we talked about this his his approach to violence has changed over the years it feels wearying and inevitable and sad um 
And then I just think he also gets some of the best performances I've seen in his films in years. Uh, like Leonardo DiCaprio out of the three leads is my least favorite performance. And it's one of my favorite performances he's given. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've seen De Niro this good in ages. And Lily Gladstone is just fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everything, everything you said, but also this idea, I think he found the more interesting story from a very good book. Uh to, to make a movie that really just unsettled me. Yeah. It's 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 something. I am I am I am I have more reservations about the DiCaprio performance than you do. But yes, it's I agreed with everything you've said, basically. <laughs> Number three, Perry. All right, here's where I give the same spiel you just gave. These top uh-huh. three for me are the A pluses this year. Okay. They are all outstanding films. Um and I, I will probably say that the two after this one are probably the A plus pluses. <laughs> But yes, these are all outstanding pieces of work. My number three is Todd Haynes' May, December, okay. uh, a film that is as formally perfect as all of Todd Haynes' films are uh, and absolutely had the last the last shot that gut punched me the most this year. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, wow. Oh, that's what I've been watching this whole time. Oh, I mean, I knew I was watching it, but I didn't realize I was watching it. Uh, this is the film that's getting jobbed most at the Oscar season this year. I guess it's because Netflix sunk all their money into making sure that Bradley Cooper got a Best Actor nomination for Maestro. Uh, this is this is among Haynes's very best pieces of work. Absolutely stellar performances by everybody across the board. Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much because I want people to just go see it. It's on Netflix. You can. It's very mm-hmm. good. Uh, and like all of Haynes's films, what what Haynes does is he makes films that will absolutely play for you if you have no sense of cinema history or anything. He can just tell you a very entertaining, engaging story. But man, he's a semiotics major from Brown, man. He just knows signs and symbols. He knows how to arrange things. He has unerring eye for style and for composition and he knows how to if you are into watching for these things commenting on what's going on as it's happening not in a way that detracts from it but in a way that's just there so you can follow along as well so that you understand there is more than just this very salacious story at the center of this there's a lot deeper things going on uh boy boy i love may december a lot chris I really like May, December. It is in my honorable mentions. Um, I really like it. And I was shocked that uh, when the best actress and supporting actress were not, you know, were announced today that this film did not make the list. Um, I don't think it's that Netflix necessarily went all in on uh, Maestro, although they did, but I think they also went all in on Nyad, um, which I will admit I have not seen. Um, but that was the uh, best actress and best supporting actress roles that I thought would go to uh, May, <laughs> December. And it went to Nyad, which I haven't seen, but I have its water bottle. So <laughs> it's, it is the first thing I need to get to after seeing the nominations. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Um, my number, number three. Th- my number three is four things. Um, and I think I said this on our last episode. This was my f- somehow my first Yorgos Lanthimos movie. And, um, Oh, and wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, it is also, I had the uh, distinct pleasure of just choosing to watch this on a Sunday afternoon on my couch 
uh, thinking, I'll just sit with my laptop while the kids are in the other room. And then the kids kept trickling into the room and I had to keep <laughs> shutting the laptop because this is not a kid's movie. Um, no Yorgos Lanthimos film is. Yeah. Um, I, I love this movie. I, I said this before. Um, uh, it is... I, every year I want the movie that shows me something I haven't seen before and this movie gave me that. Uh, I I love Emma Stone's performance in this. I think it's her strongest performance uh, as kind of this Frankenstein's monster who is coming into her own, not only physically, but learning who she is as a person and what she wants and the whole self-actualization there. Um, I, I love her performance. I love this world, this weird steampunk world. It looks like something tim burton would have done when i was interested in tim burton um (laughs) (laughs) i wish tim burton were this interested in sexuality yeah and and it's a movie about sex is self-actualization that i haven't seen where the sex in the movie isn't dour it's fun how many movies do you get anymore where the sex is fun and funny and yeah i i loved that i love mark ruffalo as a horny dandy um I loved Willem Dafoe as the Frankenstein mad scientist who is normally the most heartless person in these type of movies and is maybe the one source of warmth that Bella comes to who isn't trying to corrupt her. Even like the nice Gerard Carmichael character is trying to make her just succumb to his cynicism. Um, I love this movie. It is so weird. I love the fact that this movie is becoming a nice size hit because I am imagining all these families or all these couples who never go to the movies except to see the Oscar nominees wandering into this one and wondering what the hell did I just walk into? Um, (laughs) It is a weird, imaginative, beautifully shot movie. I think it is just the cinematography is my favorite this year. I I love the set design in this as well. I loved everything about this movie. This is a uh, beautiful film. I'll be honest, it should probably be my 10 instead of Barbie. It's, it's it's a really great piece of work. It is fun to really watch. Really good double feature with Barbie. It They're the same movie. Uh, well, what is it? The Year of the Doll, right? That and Priscilla. Yeah. Like they're basically all the three same movies. The cloistered women who break free and learn about life and themselves. This is a, uh, you know, Yorgos doesn't make films that you're designed to like ever. <laughs> that's, that's not what he's interested in. Mm-hmm. He is a provocateur, uh, but he's a pretty good one. Uh, and I like the fact that he's finally come up with a lead character that he really likes. Yeah. And that's the joy of watching this. I still think he suffers the problem that many provocateurs have. He'd rather provoke than tell a story. And I think this film does run out of steam in that last 20 minutes. That last act doesn't not, does not play for me uh, nearly as well as the it first hour me. and a half. It's, but it's a let da- It's not the, the last scenes, but, and you have to do it to get to that last scene. I understand why yeah. it's, it's you're following a structure and this is where you've got to go, except I don't care. But that well, mind, I, <laughs> uh, that's, that's not, she, she does not need to reclaim her old self. I don't, I don't, that doesn't, that doesn't play for me with where the movie was and what the movie is saying throughout. And there are other really interesting critiques of the movie that can be made, but it is incredibly entertaining <laughs> and it is a pleasure to look at throughout. Yeah. Uh, I am, I adore Mark Ruffalo with all my heart. And I will say, I'm not crazy about the performance, but that's what Yorgos wanted. I don't blame Mark Ruffalo. 
uh, it's Willem Dafoe for me who is should have that slot really among good. the Oscar nominees. That's a fabulous piece of work. Uh, it's a very good film. It's it's a really good piece of work. It is it is easily, like I said, the most likable of all of his movies. Uh, and that's that's nice to see. And I'm sure he'll go back to punishing us for it and with the next film. When I said there was a film that made me laugh more than Barbie, this was it. This this yeah. is a very funny movie. It um, is. The next two movies on my list are not very funny, um, <laughs> which I think we're at an interesting place because if I remember correctly, I think our top two films are reversed. Interesting. Let's see what happens. What's your my number two? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Is is by a female director? Uh huh. <laughs> a female screenwriter. Okay. Were they were they nominated for a screenwriting act at? Oscar for this? They were nominated for a screenwriting okay. Oscar for this. <laughs> this one just happens to be two and a half hours long in French. Uh, my number two is Anatomy of a Fall, which is just excellent. Like, mm. It's another film that it's the film I want to sh- I, I want to tell people like this is the film that will make you not afraid of subtitles. Like, this, this is a reason to watch a movie that you think you're not going to like. This uh, this manages to be a true crime, the, the the absolute structure of a true crime story. Every true crime documentary you've watched for the last fifteen years, uh, made utterly human, <laughs> made utterly real, with a uh, a performance by Sandra Hewler that is just thrilling <laughs> at every point, and it. It, it it pulls off the uh it's it's uh ah David Mamet has said that the hardest thing in the world is endings because it has to be a complete surprise and completely obvious. Mm-hmm. It has to build to that moment and yet it needs to be a surprise. And this movie does that. And it not only does that, it gets really philosophical about it along the way. <laughs> this is an incredibly deep movie that never stops being a remarkably entertaining and twisty uh, tr- true crime story. I can't believe how much time we spend in a courtroom in this movie. I can't believe how much of this running time is in court. And I also really want to know if this is how French courts run. Cause if they do, oh my gosh, they're so, so much more entertaining than American yeah. courts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll just come out and say, this was my number one. Um, oh, excellent. My, my number one movie of the year. I, I love this movie. I, Man, this movie flew by for me. It's two and a half hours, and I was riveted the entire time. Uh, I think the court case is fascinating. Like you said, that that French court is crazy. I yeah. I, I want I want a reality show of that. Um, I think it is so good at depicting something that is hard to get your arms around, which is this idea that only the two people in a marriage know the reality of their marriage. And when one of those voices is missing, you no one else can know the complete truth about what's going on. Um, every conversation has different dynamic to it, different sides to it, uh, where you could, you know, and you're revealing sides of yourself to your spouse that if anyone else heard it, you, they would think you're a monster. Um, it, it is really this. I, I, Dave Chen uh, over at the film cast said it's it is a movie about how no one knows what the hell is going on in anyone's marriage. Um, and, and it is like, that's what it's about. It is this deconstruction of this marriage through a court case about a murder. And it is fascinating. I love the fact that 
there we you know just spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it because it's not really a spoiler it's the movie there's not necessarily anything we walk away knowing for sure um you know and i love that it does that without feeling cheap uh i think sandra hewler it is the performance of the year for me uh she's very good in zone of interest but obviously you know she's not given as much to do there she doesn't command the whole time but here she has to be so subtle in what she's letting on in these scenes where she's being interrogated in these scenes where she's alone with her son uh, or alone with her dog. And she's so good. Apparently she doesn't even know. She, she told the director, she doesn't want to know what the director thought the truth of the situation was. So she could play it that way. Um, It's wonderfully edited. There's a sequence where they play a recording of a fight in the court. And they cut out at just the right moment for it to have the perfect impact in that scene. Like, that's great. Great kid acting in this movie. Great dog acting in this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really, I love this movie. This is, th- this just blew me away. It came out of nowhere for me too, which might be why it eventually rose to my number one. Cause we'll get to what I think is your number one in a minute, which is my number two. Um, <laughs> but uh but yeah, I, I this came out of nowhere. It it blew me away. I love this movie, and I've been telling everyone they just need to check this out. And Justine Triette is someone I'm going to pay attention to. Sandra Hewler is someone I am definitely paying attention to. Uh, yeah, Anatomy of the Fall, my number one movie of the year. Yeah, I have I have no problem with that designation. That's it's yeah. Please, people, see it <laughs> if you haven't. Oh, yo, you're missing out. It's so good. And now, if I'm wrong, and your number one of the year is The Flash, I'm going to feel very silly. <laughs> no, I think you knew my number one is Past yep. Lives. So yeah. Songs. Uh, again, perfection. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, every year it seems like there's a battle for me. My top two films, you know, vacillate between something that is small and perfect and something that is big and sprawling and ambitious. Not to say that small and perfect is an ambition on its own. Uh, but this year, boy, Past Lives is the one that stuck with me. That is, uh, uh, you know, the Celine Song is a is a playwright, and she is given the movie the weight of a playwright. Every single line and every single shot is absolutely loaded with meaning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, there was no choice that wasn't absolutely correct, and there wasn't a choice that was ever, oh, this will look pretty. <laughs> it wasn't oh we're gonna make the actors look good here uh that all three of the leads in this movie aren't nominated for oscars is an utter shame yeah uh i believe this is basically the year that it is the, the oscars are the revenge of the studios this year i i think that they are uh, i if you had a lot of money and decided to campaign hard you were getting in this year uh and they have locked out they have locked out a lot of smaller and very interesting films for it uh Boy, yeah, I don't want to talk more about past life because I want people to just see it cold, as cold as you can see it, because it's something. It, it is a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. It is great. And maybe the only reason there are two reasons why it might be number two instead of number one. Number two is it's one of those ones or number number one uh, might be because <laughs> it is a movie that I totally went into expecting I was going to love um, because it was just uh, hearing that plot. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the before series here. This is like three of those crammed into one. Um, that, you know, I, I was not surprised that I loved it. And it's, you know, so anatomy of, the, of a fall kind of surprised me more. That might be why it edged it out, but sure. I, I do think this is a 
just a great, beautiful movie, very perceptive, very emotionally mature. Like that's a weird designation to use for a movie, but there are choices the characters make where I'm like, I wouldn't expect a movie character to be mature enough to make that choice. That is that. And it knows when to withhold emotion and when to just hammer you with it. Um, I will say the only other thing that might hold it back is you can't introduce the title of the husband's book and then leave it there and not explain it. Do you remember what the title of his book is? I don't. <laughs> yes. You see it? Yes. Oh, crap. Uh, yes, I can't pull it, but right, it's a one-word title. Is it a place? It's a name. It's, well, it is a name if you've watched Growing Pains. The name of his book is Boner. It is. It is. It is Boner. You're right. That's fantastic. Yeah. I did notice it the second time I saw it. I was like, that's really good. Yeah. That's- no, this is this is a beautiful movie. I, I agree with you. I want people to discover this. Um, I think it is just, it, it's really perceptive about, what it's like to grow up and lose track of people. And, you know, I tell my wife all the time, I feel like I've lived 20 different lives in the last 20 years, but it's also filtered through this immigrant story that is yeah. really unique. And uh, yeah, this is, this is a great movie. Um, I, it was a really hard pick to uh, pick between my one and two. Um, Absolutely. So I have them both. Absolutely. Uh, well, did you have any runners up? Uh, like I said, you know, as I said before, I was being obstinate. Poor things really should have been my number 10. Barbie should have been the runner-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nothing pops to mind. There's stuff I certainly liked this year. But honestly, I was really comfortable. This is this is the first time I actually stretched my list out to 10. I've okay. been just going with my top five when people have asked me what's the best stuff this year. And then they'll ask me what else is good. And I kind of mentioned those other films in some order. Uh I, it's that's another reason why it was a weird year for me. Like people, I had a lot of people tell me about how they thought this year was just a really great year. And I'm like, it was a very good year in that there were, you know, three truly remarkable films I thought that came out. But I think there were like a dozen films that everybody kind of agrees are the best movies this year. I think like so. It's, it's not it's not a deep year. It's not full of really interesting stuff or really likable stuff you might have missed to me. It's like these are the films. These are the films you should see. These are the films you know you should have seen all year. These are the films that are catching on at the end of the year that you should see. Uh and I think the Oscars kind of knew that. <laughs> and as long as they kept it to those 12 films, it was going to be a decent list. And for the most part, it is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, eight of the 10 Oscar nominations are on my list. Uh, American Fiction is on my runners-up, uh, lower on my runners-up, but I still really like that movie. Uh, there was nothing that I really felt like, oh, it didn't make it to the top 10, I'm sad. John Wick Chapter 4 was the one I had to cut off for Godzilla. But <laughs> And I love that. I, I don't think... I don't think pulp entertainment gets the love it deserves. And uh, I, I do love that movie a lot. I like Blackberry a lot, but that's more of a performance thing. I really wanted sure. to find a way to keep you hurt my feelings on there. Cause I do. Yeah. Like I like you hurt my feelings and, a lot, but, um, but there was nothing else I felt super strong about. Uh, so I was fairly happy when the Oscars uh, were announced today. And what did you think about the Oscar nominations, Perry? Uh, I knew it was going to get weird when the best adapted screenplay category did not include Killers of the Flower Moon. I thought, mm-hmm. hey, where are we going with this? <laughs> that was unexpected. So w- what else is going to be left off? And then I think the biggest takeaway is that deep down, Hollywood still wants to not give itself over. It doesn't want to give its biggest awards to the kind of films it knows it has to keep making. And I think that's why you 
don't have Greta Gerwig there as best director for Barbie and why you don't have uh, Margot Robbie there for best actress. I think there was, uh, I, I think that was Warner brothers uh, very much putting its thumb on the scale and making sure that Oppenheimer was the, the much more seriously taken movie of the two. Yeah. Even though I think Barbie's the, I, I think we both think Barbie's the better movie because it was on our list and Oppenheimer was not on yours and it was pretty low on mine, even though I, I really like it. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot of people complain about Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie, and that looks very weird in light of the fact that Barbie gets so many nominations and that America Ferrara and Ryan Gosling were both nominated. That's weird. But at the same point, like, I feel like Best Actress is a very tight category, and Margot Robbie is still nominated for an actress as a producer of Barbie. Um and Greta Gerwig, I'm like, I don't know who I'm kicking off that director's list is the problem. Oh, I, 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 I could, I'd have somebody I'd drop, but that's me. I, just, I you know, yet or keep in mind that, you know, it's the, the guilt, the, the, the branch of the Academy vote for that branch. So it is the directors that left her on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of it. I think it's like, okay, well, yes, you made the most successful type of movie that none of us want to have to be making. And so great. Super creative. Enjoy the giant blockbuster. Enjoy enjoy the giant money. Enjoy the fact that you will get to do whatever you want next. But no, you don't get to have this. Uh, I I, <laughs> I am at I am at odds with the Oscars this year in a lot of ways. I don't. I have I have reservations about. I think there are much better directed films. I think there are better Best Director nominations out there than those five. Uh, not all of them, and I'm not upset with any with any of them. Uh, but boy, this felt really easy for the Academy. <laughs> I felt they took no chances, uh, and I felt the the things that are there that feel like a stone in my shoe are things like America Ferrara, who I like. I don't have any problem with the performance, mm-hmm. but. Uh, <laughs> really really that's one of the five best supporting performances by an actress you saw all year i don't understand how that gets there and it doesn't get director it's like, it's like that's that's it seems like america yeah. Fire, if the film sweeps every category like oppenheimer did with emily blunt you know which is, which is again <laughs> no shade on emily blunt fabulous actress a fine performance it's a terrible character it's a nothing character. There, it is a it is a lazy nomination, uh, and that's that's a shame to see. I don't know why you're saying it's a nothing character. She hated having kids, and she was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's literally all I remember about her character is she she hated having kids and she drank a lot, probably because she hated having kids. But uh, I, I like Emily Blunt a lot, um, but that character is very underwritten. Uh, very, very. I, I, I was. Very surprised at the love for um, American Fiction, which got a ton of awards and which is a movie I really like. And I like Jeffrey Wright being in there. I like Sterling K. Brown being in there. I don't know that it's one of the top 10 movies of the year. I think we both agree it kind of whiffs that ending. Um, But it's a a crowd pleaser. But I will admit, I saw it a second time. Did you? And I am the more i've lived with it my 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 feelings my problems with it have lessened okay uh they're still there they're not gone uh but i i i 
I was able to see it again for what it's again. Like I wanted to see killers again. I could see it for what it is, not for, for what I really wanted it to be. And I'm a little, I, I, I my reservations are less. So, um, I still don't love that ending, <laughs> uh, but I have less of a problem with it than I did. And I understand why it's on this list. If you're going to go to 10 films, I, I understand why it's certainly on this list. I don't have a problem with it being on the list. There's, no, there's not a, I'm, I'm going to make sure I say this before I go say this out loud. Yes, there's not a bad film in these 10. There are films I wish there were there instead. I'm but kind of the are, same way. I, I might like to see uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, instead of Maestro. I'd like uh, to see May, December. That's <laughs> what I'd like to see okay. instead, of, instead of any of them other than the, Past Lives and Anatomy of a Fall. The May, December acting uh, nominations not being there are, are crazy. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And maybe Nyad is great. I don't know. Um, that was a movie I did not exist into, or I did not know existed until they sent me a water bottle and a bath mat. Um <laughs> You know, and I haven't gotten around to it. I haven't gotten around to Rustin. Um, so I don't know if Coleman Domingo is a choice I would have in there. I, I want, like I said, I love Mark Ruffalo. I have loved Mark Ruffalo from the second I saw him in 1999. And you can count on me. I am all in on Mark Ruffalo. I am the, I am the biggest number one straight white male fan of Mark Ruffalo. Uh, but boy, Charles Melton should be here instead. For May December, it's not even the women in May December that bothers me. It's like, how do you ignore that performance? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of watching Mark Ruffalo, you know, smack his lips very entertainingly, but very easily. That was not a tough performance. That was not. There's that's not a lot of work there. It's super enjoyable. It's it's great. He's doing exactly what Lorgos wants. Don't get me wrong. I am not knocking the performance in and of itself. I just think that that I, I think that Melton did something that very few people could have done. And I think a lot of people could have done what Mark Ruffalo does in poor things. I, I think Melton is very good. And I would that would not have bothered me at all. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that really kind of gets me into any type of lather. Um, I do love the fact that both Wonka uh, and the Disney movie Wish, which was an original musical, both those original musicals have music that was so forgettable that the Academy went with a song from the Cheetos movie instead of uh, of honoring them. Man, song just gets worse and worse every year. Uh, category, doesn't it? It's such it's so bad. Uh, and what is I'm, happening? I mean, I don't know that I would recommend any of the music from Wonka. It was a movie that kind of was there, and then I was done, and I was like, okay, I did that one. Uh, and wishes, <laughs> wishes got awful. I was so glad that they did not toss Disney the uh, the best animated nomination for Wish because it's like, like I was saying, it is Disney movie like AI generated. It's it's awful. Um, I believe I like, you. Yeah, Elemental gets a lot you. of play in our house, but uh, I would have maybe I actually might have wanted to see Ninja Turtles uh, take the Elemental spot because I was surprised how much I loved that new Ninja Turtle movie. <laughs> Um, animated movies are always fascinating to me for the category, and I, I'm really curious if they do like if they give it to Miyazaki. Oh, they will. Final film. They will. Or if it's Spider Verse, which is kind of but there's a third Spider Verse coming. Exactly. So, it's yeah. going to be me. I'm. I would. I feel comfortable placing my money on Miyazaki winning that Oscar. Um, other than that, like I'm looking down the list, cinematography. I don't even know what El Conde is. I didn't. I'd never heard of it. Uh, I had to go look up about it, and I still don't. I don't remember what I looked up. 
from this morning. But when I saw it was Ed Lackman, I was like, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it deserves it. I have no problem believing that. Ed Lackman is one of the five greatest living American cinemas in Um, Documentary, this is the first year where I don't think I have heard of four out of five of the documentary nominees. Um, <laughs> I love documentaries. I have just spent a good portion of the last month watching documentaries to like help with selections for a local film festival. I have not heard of half of the more than half of these documentary nominees. Um, so I'll have to give them a look. I will, I will point out if you don't know the intrigue that Fran, so how best international f- feature film works is each country puts up a film. Each mm-hmm. a country can only submit one film. France did not submit anatomy of a fall as their film. So that's why it's not on the nominations list. I want to be real clear. This was not any kind of weird snub or any kind of uh, to make us suspicious that zone of interest is actually more beloved in some way. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's why that's not there. And that's why there's not a French film on the list. Yeah. I did wonder why it wasn't on there. Um, I was honestly, I was a little surprised. I thought Japan was going to push Godzilla minus one uh, pretty hard <laughs> because that had been such a hit. Um, but I've heard a lot of really good thing about perfect days, the Vim vendors film. And it, yes, I do have I a screener sitting there. I need to. I need to look into that one. <laughs> um, I I am in, I'm always intrigued when the best director category is full of uh, uh, people born outside of the United States, as has happened this year. We have one American and four foreign born directors this yeah. year, and that's always intriguing to me. That's uh, that is that is uh, I I I like the international scope that the Academy's taken over the last few years. I think it's, I think it's a good, I think it's a very healthy thing. There are different directors I would like here, but boy, I was so thrilled when they said Justine Triette's name. I actually, yeah. uh, we had, a, we had a snow day today. I was able to watch the nominations live for the first time in a few years. And I actually squealed with delight when she was the first name listed. It's funny. I put this on Twitter. So my son, major football fan. So, you know, the last few weeks have been really crazy here. Um, And and like, he'll get really excited during the games. And I'll be like, what the hell is he doing? Like, oh, Hutchinson. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, But I'm sitting there and, you know, they're like, best uh, adapted screen or best original screenplay, Anatomy of a Fall. And I'm like, yes. Yeah, he's your son, Chris. yeah. Uh, just, just remember, if you, all all of you who are insulted by the phrase sports ball, <laughs> just remember the, the the one you can hurl back is doll movie. That's all you have to say. OK, <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, one thing we have not touched on is Martin Scorsese making history as the most nominated director, uh, eclipsing Steven Spielberg. Yes. Uh, you know, it's it's. It's like Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin hosting Saturday Night Live. I'm, I'm sure they'll pass back each other a few more times before all is said and done. Uh, that only seems right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy about that. I am curious. You know, it 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 feels very much like it's going to be a big night for Oppenheimer. I, I think it's going to win Best Picture. I think Nolan's going to win Best Director. Uh, I think Downey's going to win Supporting Actor. Uh, but I do really think if it's not him they will give marty one more because i don't you know we've been saying this for a while i don't know how many more he's got left in him he claims he's got a 90 minute jesus movie in the works oh i am here for that i i am 
super intrigued if that happens. I hope it does. I don't know who else is going to give him $300 million <laughs> and all the time in the world. But I the hope Pope. he gets it. The, the Pope might. I guess that's the one funding source he hasn't tapped yet. And we know he's had an audience with him because they watch Silence together. Uh, I, I hope it happens. I certainly hope it happens. I'm really curious. I feel like Oppenheimer is the front runner. I, I think Nolan... People have been pushing for Nolan for years, and I don't, you know, I like Nolan's movies. I don't know that since Memento, he's made a movie where I've been like, yeah, give it to Nolan. Um, until Oppenheimer, where I'd be like, yeah, okay, uh, I, I could see that. I like I like his work. Um, but I feel like Best Picture, I could see going any number of directions. I could see Barbie being a surprise. Um, I also feel like The Holdovers is just kind of sitting there. Nah. Kind of quietly gaining steam, and I, maybe that's just wishful thinking. It's wishful um, thinking, but I mean, Oppenheimer has not only the critical love and love from people in the industry, but it made a buttload of money, and that also talks. So, but but that's what that you don't win doing. Barbie's Barbie ain't gonna take it. They've made that no. very clear with it not getting a best animation. It's also not up for editing, which is oh. the, always the bellwether. Like you need to be nominated for editing. To have a shot at best picture more often than not the vast majority of the time uh the holdovers is so there you go could still be i would i would bet the holdovers over barbie at this point uh but no i don't see i, I don't see how, i i honestly i don't i don't see how oppenheimer loses best picture i really don't it just feels like this feels important it will have the full warner brothers weight behind it they will campaign yeah. for it uh Nolan has made a lot of people a lot of money and he's finally made a film that is deemed worthy of winning Oscars. Uh, you know, it, it was what to 2000. When was, when was dark Knight? 2008, 2009, 2009. Nine. So basically 15 years ago, you know, he's the reason we have 10 nominees now. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like Barbie is now in that slot. Like Barbie's got a best picture nomination because you know, Christopher Nolan died for box office sins. And so here we have, it just feels like that again to me. And I find it hilarious that we will, the, the, the two people most responsible for the gigantic success of comic book movies for the last 30 years are going to win Oscars this year for, for, <laughs> for Oppenheimer. That's how this is going to work. Nolan yeah. and Downey will win. And that'll be like, now we can bring this full circle and be done with this once and for <laughs> all. We can start fresh and get back to giving the A24 films lots of awards. There we go. Anything else about the Oscars, Perry? Not for now, but I'm sure there'll be more later. All right. It's two months away. I'm sure we'll do something. Oh, oh, oh yes. yes. One more thing. One yes, more yes. thing. Oh, my gosh. The, the loudest squeal of excitement I made at the Oscar nominations. They're starting at seven. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. I had not read that. I did not know that. What a fabulous decision. This is the smartest decision the Academy has made in the sense of trying to have better ratings that I did forever. Why would you not have it so that the best picture and best actor and best actors are given out during prime time and not at 1130? Yeah. Brilliant decision. Absolutely brilliant decision. Thank you, Academy. They're also using it to launch um, a show right afterwards. So they're pulling like right from the Super Bowl idea. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Who's hosting this year? Is it Kimmel again? It is Kimmel again. It's always going to be Kimmel. ABCs can go to him, have him do it. It's fine. Everybody's okay with it. Yeah, I, I, it. I don't have a problem with Kimmel. Um, I, I did see John Mulaney hosting the, uh, I think the Tech Awards or something a few weeks ago, and yes. that was really funny. But I don't know if they would let him 
say the stuff he said there. No, they would not. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Not. Kimmel is Kimmel is as far as they're going to let it go. That's fine. I like Kimmel. Um, I think we need to plan a flag in the ground right now, too, and promise that our next episode will be shortcuts. Okay. Um, I have the Blu-ray. We will figure things out. Um, but we need to get back on that Altman thing because, uh, yeah, yeah we, we still have a few movies left for him. And, yeah, in the meantime, Perry, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook. You can find me. Uh, you can hear me on the Lucy and Lance show on WLBY in Ann Arbor on Friday mornings and on her website. You can hear me often at the Cathode Ray Mission radio show, uh, internet radio show. Uh, we have an episode coming up. I think it's next month. We're doing all of Pedro Almodovar. Mm. Very excited about that. Uh, and uh, and yeah. That's that's where you can find my stuff. Chris, where can we read and hear you? Oh, you can find me on most social media sites at either Chrisicisms or Mere Christianity. Christianity, not Christianity. That's C.S. Lewis. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Facebook again, which uh, you could not find me for a while. Facebook deleted me for a bit, but I am back. Uh, but most importantly, me, you can find me at two places. I am now reviewing movies at michigansportsandentertainment.com. Head over there, read my review of uh, The Beekeeper, which is a wonderfully dumb Jason Statham movie. Uh, I'll have a <laughs> review of Zone of Interest out by the time this episode comes out. And you can follow me on my newsletter at chrisicisms.substack.com. I have a post about the Oscars, but more importantly, by the time you listen to this, I will have my Franchise Friday returning, where I look at all three of the Beverly Hills Cop movies, which is the cinematic equivalent of watching a balloon deflate. Uh, <laughs> the, it was not the best time in the world. Um, <laughs> no, no, it was not. You know, if that's not your cup of tea, I also have a review of a movie about uh, Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis meeting, which is not a good movie, but the review was fine. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I'm, I am there for Hopkins anytime. He, he's very good. The movie itself, it. as a C.S. Lewis nerd, the movie itself did not do much for me. But anyway. all right, but the review is very good. So go ahead and head over, head over there and read it. We will be back probably in February, definitely in February at the latest. Definitely in February. Yeah, yeah. We will talk shortcuts with Robert Altman. Um, yeah, I will see you then, Perry. Take care, Chris. You too.